You know, every once in a while, you'll hear something on the radio that grabs your attention, something different that speaks right to some of the thoughts maybe you've had in the back of your mind for a very long time. Well, folks, this is that show. It's called Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer, and I'm here with the creator of Growing Boulder, Mark Middleton. And folks, none of us are getting any younger. So what about those things that you always wanted to do? What happened to the kind of life you always wanted to live? This is the program that proves that it is never too late. And no matter what your situation, there is always something you can do to start growing bolder. You've made me want to listen I'm fired to up, You Mark. are fired up. I like that. Uh, here's some proof, folks. On today's program, today you will hear how an artist ingenious eye has been able to turn urban trash into functional, livable, completely unique shelters for the homeless. Actress Ann Archer is going to join us with her insight into how women, even superstars, are treated in the movie industry. We're going to talk with a Holocaust survivor to learn why, after years of silence, she's finally speaking out in a most unusual way. And we're going to meet two unlikely giants of rock who have kept the guitars of many of the greats screaming out for over 40 years now. And the one and only Suzanne Summers is with us because that's what we call growing bolder. No, we talk a lot about people who reinvent themselves, folks that change their career, improve their health, dive into their passions, their interests. Many do it, but few have reinvented themselves as completely as our next guest has. When America first discovered Suzanne Summers, she was the goofy, gorgeous, hot blonde on Three's Company. When that fell apart over a contract dispute, many wondered, might there be something more to this woman? You know, and the years rolled by, Mark, and we watched her through her cancer battle, which transformed her from kind of this victim into a warrior, and she used her celebrity to implore us to take charge of our own health, and the latest revelation in her life is in her book called Tox Sick, T-O-X Sick. So let's find out more about this and say hi to the one and only Suzanne Summers. How are you, Suzanne? Good morning. Good morning. I just I just uh, got an email that Toxic hit number three on the New York Times uh, on its debut, so that's pretty great. Do, I think it's hit a nerve, you know? Yeah, when you wake up, Suzanne, and you find out things like that, do you kind of pinch yourself and say, how did I become this person? <laughs> It, you know, it's life is a journey you can't plan. I never, ever, ever thought this was the path I would take, but if you follow the flow, it seems to take you to the right place. And like you were mentioning, cancer. I never wanted to be a cancer victim or a cancer survivor. I remember when I was diagnosed, I said to myself, "What have I done in my diet and lifestyle that I've played host to this disease?" And that set me on a journey that turned my cancer into this great gift. And I was uncontroversial. I, 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 it was controversial because I didn't take chemo and I didn't take the aftercare drugs. And and I remember one of the doctors saying to me, "But you're going to die." And I said, I took a deep breath. I said, "I think I will die if you tell me if I do what you tell me to do." So that was the beginning of the path on my own, and I've never looked back. Well, you know, you had to step up and and assume the role that you have because bad things happen to a lot of people. And, you know, Suzanne, we say on this program often that, you know, the highest use, the highest value of any celebrity is really when they share with the rest of us their personal struggles so that we can relate to that. And, and, And you really have assumed that role. You've become a bell ringer of sorts. Was that difficult for you or did you always know that 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 you had to put yourself out front? I think um, my second book was called Keeping Secrets, about growing up with an, an abusive alcoholic father. That was the hardest book I wrote because it was called Keeping Secrets, when you have to... Um, I want to tell the story of what happened to us and why it kept happening in our family, why this was a generational disease. And everyone would say to me, gee, you're the only one who doesn't drink, you're okay. And I would think, I'm not okay. And um, that book was just profound for me as a person, changing me. And I was on the New York Times for 16 weeks and became a movie. And, and then I got the bug to write, and I kept writing. And then as things happened in my life, it gained weight. And I wrote, I wrote nine weight loss books with a new way to lose weight by eating. And kind of what's happening now, you know, I was telling people back then to 
that fats are not the enemy, that the body needs healthy fats. That was one of the things in Toxic. I interviewed, you probably know him, Dr. Stephen Sinatra, leading integrative cardiologist in America, probably the world, because there are very few who cross the line like that. And I said, let's talk about this cholesterol thing. And he said, it, it's a myth. He said, I've got guys on my operating table with cholesterol of 320, and I expect to go in there and find all this heart disease, and I don't. He said, I've had uh, guys on my operating table with low cholesterol of 140, 160, and they're riddled with it. He said, so we realize it's not uh, the cholesterol, it's inflammation. And he said, there's only one, one type of person who should ever be on a statin, which I thought was so interesting because it's such a widely used drug and it's so debilitating to many. He said, I never, ever, ever put a woman on a statin. He said, and uh, HDH, um, HDL, the so-called bad uh, cholesterol. He said HDL is what causes, what forms the little synapse between the cells so that they can communicate. Without HDL, they can't communicate. He said, but there are two components of uh, HDL, and he said it's the second component, which is a capital L, little p, a small a, LPA. He said, if that's high, you're in trouble. He said, that's like little razor blades on the inside of the arteries. He said, but it's rare, and it's genetic. And he said, um, I rarely, he said, even when I find this in a man, he said, I rarely put them on statins. I put them on lumbrokinase, a natural uh, blood thinner. So there are a lot of things in this book, but mainly if you are uh, aware of how many people now have these initials, ADD, ADHD, OCD, bipolar, um, asthma, autism, schizophrenia, dyslexia, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and the autoimmunes, MS, fibromyalgia, lupus, and cancer. Why this huge epidemic of all of these things? This book explains to you that it's all toxin-driven and how it comes into the body, how it ends up in the GI tract, how it, it eats through the lining of your GI tract. That's why everybody's got swollen bellies and, and cramping and uncomfortable bellies because the toxins are in there because everybody's, from overuse of antibiotics, and always been taking probiotics, you know, anti takes away, pro puts back. And so the toxins eat through the barrier wall, leak into the bloodstream, and then are free to roam and cause havoc. They look for organs and glands of opportunity the brain being their favorite because toxins love to live in fat. The brain is 65% fat. When that happens, your hormones are all thrown off, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult or a senior. You know, we need hormones for um, existence. And the brain, that's where your ADD, attention deficit, the ADHD, the OCD, uh, all those brain conditions that people are experiencing now are because of brains filled with toxins. So the solutions are actually very simple. You clean up your own personal sphere. You can't change the planet. We've, we've done what we've done to the planet. But if you change to organic skin care and hair care and makeup and toxic-free household cleaning, if you turn your house into a green zone, it matters and it makes a huge difference. If you already have one of these conditions, then the detox protocols in this book explain to you, which don't cost anything, like uh, four spoons of uh, virgin organic coconut oil spread throughout the day. Uh, Dr. Sherry Rogers talks about her detox cocktail of exorbic acid and arlipoic acid. Wonderful things that really work, and I know they work, because my husband was so badly hit by black mold that he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. It turned out it wasn't. I kept saying he doesn't. He doesn't. He's too healthy. And it turned out it was black mold from this house that we were leasing after our house burned down that settled in the base of his brain uh, right along at the cerebellum. The central nervous system runs parallel with it. The mold started eating into his central nervous system and causing these facial tics and facial spasms and grimacing, which look like Parkinson's. And had he taken those heavy-duty Parkinson's drugs, what, where would he be today? And how many people out there have been diagnosed with Parkinson's when they don't really have it? And the black mold for me got into my intestines and um, just wreaked havoc with my health and this whole swollen belly thing. I ended up in the hospital for six days. So it's been a personal journey for me. 
I, I actually, when I saw this morning that it hit number three right out of the box, I thought, I get it, because we're all so perplexed by what is happening. And deep in our gut, we know these chemicals aren't good for us. And the interesting thing is, when I was promoting this book last week in New York, I could not get on one mainstream show because it bites the hand that feeds them, because they're all, the advertisers are all chemical and pharmaceutical companies. So I'm glad there are enough people that have heard me on other channels and um, are uh, connecting their own dots. And personally, Suzanne, and I want to remind people, we're talking to Suzanne Summers because it sounds like we're talking to a, a researcher or a scientist or a mm-hmm. medical expert. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, is that Chrissy? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it, it, and, I, and that's exactly what I want to ask you, Suzanne, about you. Did I'm sure when you were 25, you had no idea that this would be your destiny or this would be your life in your mid-60s, that it could be so purposeful and, and, and so different. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you see your, the journey that you've been on, and, and what can you teach the rest of us about your process? Well, it's very clear that celebrity is a gift if it's used right. And um, I remember when I really started writing these books, I remember I called the head of Johns Hopkins, and I wanted to find out who it was and and what would be the route to eventually get a conversation with him. And I got put through right away. Well, hello, Suzanne. How are you? What can I do for you? And at that moment, I realized, wow, uh, they will take my call. And that's when I started making cold calls to the best and the brightest and most cutting edge, and I would explain to them uh, that I have this platform. I have a louder voice, and I wanted to pick their brain. I wanted them to be able to tell me so I could interpret it for us lay persons so we could understand it, and that was a gift I didn't know that I had, that I can take medical speak, which is so difficult, and break it down because in these conversations I go, wait, 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 back up. And when you, if you're saying this, does that mean that? So I... I I was saying to my husband the other day, we were sharing a tequila and uh, just a, kind of a, a nice date, and I said, I am at such a great time in my life. I feel content, and I have everything I want, and it has nothing to do with money. I just am really at a place in my life where the journey has taken me right where I want, and um, here I am with this great book that I know is going to help so many people. I wish this book existed when we were battling the black mold and my granddaughters were battling ADD and ADHD and mold allergies and a Lyme tick bite and all these things that actually did them in. I wish there had been something like that. And Suzanne, that, that's the way we all feel for all of the things you've been through. You've stepped up and you've tried to help the rest of us along the way. I wish we could talk with you more, but I know that you've got other interviews to do. The book is called Toxic, T-O-X, sick, but really you can check out any of her books for an interesting read that can open your mind and maybe even change your life. Our thanks to Suzanne Summers, who I promise you will have on again sometime in the near future. Thanks, Suzanne, and good luck with the book. Up next, with bushy white beards, they're not your typical rock stars, yet they're as important to music as any member of any band, Billy Fells and Doug Montgomery, next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingboulder.com slash guide. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Mark Middleton and Bill Schaefer here, and this is Growing Boulder. 
And you know, when you truly follow your passion in life, some pretty amazing things will happen. When Billy Fells and Doug Montgomery quit their jobs to go into business for themselves, they really had no idea that four decades later, their guitar repair shop would become one of the most trusted and most famous in the entire country. It's amazing what they did, Mark. It's called the Guitar Factory, and we were surprised to find it's not really much of a factory at all. So what is it that made them the go-to guitar repair shop to the biggest rock stars in the world. We went to see for ourselves, and what we found was incredible. For them, the combination of skill, respect, and a whole lot of passion has produced some pretty sweet music. When you wake up in the morning, what makes you want to come in? FOS. Fear is starvation. (laughs) It's not easy to make a living fixing and building guitars. Yet Billy Fells and Doug Montgomery have been at it for over 40 years. Destiny? Um, no, not at all. Never. What has held it together has been a bond, a true friendship. (laughs) You know, I'm sure he gets tired of me or he gets mad at me and I get mad at him or tired of him. But, you know, it blows over. We know we're grown men. I stay in the back, he stays in the front. Yet there's something about the two of them together that made success seem inevitable. Are you surprised? Yes. Yeah, I don't really know how it all happened. We are gray-haired old men still in the rock and roll business. (laughs) But we're not wearing spandex. (laughs) Theirs is a story of success against the odds, of respect, and the value of craftsmanship of two men in a cramped old converted gas station who prove that making a difference comes in many different forms. From here, these two have built and repaired guitars for musical legends. You never know when you pick up the phone. It could be Bruce Springsteen. It could be Joe Walsh. It could be Mike Rutherford from Genesis. You've gotten those kind of calls. Yeah, I, and I don't know how it happened, really. It just It's tenacious, I guess. You just stick with it until good things happen. It's tenacity, experience, unmatched skill, and... Talk to me about it. ...a crazy belief that the customer comes first. We feel a responsibility to our customers to take care of them, to get things as promptly as possible for them. Sometimes it's not always prompt, but... We do the best we can. That word has gotten out and landed their handmade orange blossom guitars in the hands of some very influential players. Sting's used them on stuff. Buffett used them on a lot of records. Metallica has used them on some records. So you don't really know. And once you get a reputation, it seems there's never a time when someone doesn't need you. But that's something they handle with amazing grace. We're in the business of solving problems. That's exactly what you see. We take problem guitars, and sometimes it's an emergency, and we have to make them fly. And it could be somebody famous, or it could be Joe. I'm playing in the garage band, Joe. And we got to pull it out make it happen. This is the uh, 335 that I'd like to have these in. i got a show on Sunday. Can I get these in? See, you might think that a guitar is a guitar is a guitar, but a big portion of the work that ends up in their shop is from brand new ones bought somewhere else. Unfortunately, a lot of instruments are built that are very difficult to play off the shelf. And if somebody gives you one, buys you one, or you buy one and don't know any better, then you think that there's something wrong with you. These guys custom fit them to the likes and the needs and even the personalities of each player. And if there's a problem, there's nobody better to solve it. I could touch anything and it would crackle. Ground, ground, ground. Well, and the plates are some kind of cheap brass plates. Okay. And that's got to affect how they sound as well. It's obvious that Bill's knowledge of the guitar comes from his love of playing? No. (laughs) I was a drummer. When I walk on stage with a guitar, it's to hand it to the guitar player. Well, then I guess it's the entrepreneurial spirit that they love. I think that anybody that owns their own business 
when they go in business for themselves, they say, oh, it's going to be so great. I'm going to work for myself. I'm my own boss. Wrong. Every customer that walks through that door is your boss. What Bill and Doug are in the business of is helping people find their sound, make their music louder, better, and sweeter. It's what's made the days turn to years and the time go by in the blink of an eye. The only probably regret that I have is that Doug and I don't get more vacations. I think we've each had a long weekend three or four times in 40 years. How do you do that? You just keep doing it. You just keep going. So you're done. I'm done. Done. Yeah. Very awesome. Billy Fells and Doug Montgomery of the Guitar Factory in Orlando. You know, it used to be commonplace in American life to have as many as three generations living under the same roof at the same time. And we're just now beginning to realize how important and what a gift that really was for everyone involved. Yeah, we've learned that intergenerational experiences allow us to take advantage of so many things. The younger ones gain wisdom, guidance, and encouragement, and the older ones gain a sense of purpose. They tend to stay more relevant, and everyone learns to have respect and even admiration for people of all ages. Longevity experts Dr. Roger Landry goes so far as to say that being around people of all different ages can even help you live longer. Hello, I'm Dr. Roger Landry, and I'm a preventive medicine physician focusing on successful aging. I'm also the author of Live Long, Die Short, a guide to authentic health and successful aging. You know, when we were kids, we tended to pal around with kids our own age. And you know, as we age, that happens again. As older adults, we begin to isolate ourselves and only interact with our peers. And that's a good thing, it's very important, but you know, it's not enough. As we do that, we become more isolated from what's happening in society. We become isolated from that vitality that you see in younger generations. So how do we, how do we deal with that? Well, I think it's getting with that younger generation, no matter what age it is. It regenerates you. It, 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 it charges your batteries. It keeps you in tune with what's happening in the world so that you don't become isolated and get all those risks that come with being isolated from dementia to heart disease to cancer. So stay connected to that other generation. They're worth it, and it's fun. She survived three death camps during the Holocaust, yet seldom spoke about it in all these years. Why she's talking now and her unforgettable message next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. This is Growing Boulder with Mark and Bill. It's time now for our Surviving and Thriving interview. With the right kind of care and support and the right attitude, it's possible to not only survive life's greatest challenges, but to thrive in the aftermath. Yeah, it's a great setup for this next interview, Bill. Yeah, Obviously, folks, we know that in all of our lives there's going to be some pain and some suffering. There will be tragedy and loss, and we will have to make a choice. Are we going to be consumed by it all, or will we somehow, some way? overcome. And we've asked a woman by the name of Sonia Warshawski to join us now because she's overcome more pain, more loss, more heartbreak than just about anyone. She is one of the very last living survivors of the Holocaust. Let's welcome Sonia Warshawski. Hey, Sonia. Hello. How are you? Man, we're, we're so grateful that you're spending some time with us today. What do you want to teach us about life and, and a human's ability to recover and overcome? Well, to be loving and kindness and helping others, this helps you to overcome. Because, as you know, now when our soldiers are coming back, they get this help of, you know, healing, correct? 
we never had this. We, I lived with this all my life, the memories, you know, from the Holocaust. But the way I see how to be again with love and the worst things what can be when people hate, as you know, what hate is doing to the world. This has to be taken out from anybody's heart. Although, I would say that, Lade, when we come to this world, it is up later to the parents how they go molding those little angels, I call it. If they will be loved and putting love into them, they will love. Because the hate is what they inherit and what they learn from others. And um, what else your question would be for me is uh, go ahead and ask me. Okay, Sonia, here's here's a question. For I know yeah. that for years, you know, you, you rebuilt yourself and you went on and you lived your life and you really yeah. didn't talk much if at all, about your experiences yes. in the Holocaust. But now, Sonia, you're, I will tell you. you're in schools. When and... I came out from this hell, I could not talk about it. I was very naive because when I came out, I was thinking that we'll not have any more any hate, that people will love each other and helping but I was very disappointed. And um, even when sometimes people would, you know, tell some jokes and I would catch myself and always feel, feel a terrible guilt for the others who couldn't make it. And um, finally one day, I'll never forget, when I heard the voices of denying this was, I remember, the um, skinheads. It came to me like a, what can I tell you, to my mind, like a, I said, reminding me, hey, Sonia, this is the reason you survived. You have to talk about it. And this, what I start to do, is speaking up and telling what happened in those camps. I was in the worst three camps. First, in Maidanek, where I lost my mom, and I saw her walking to the guest chamber after selecting, selected. Through, um, as you know, who Mengele, Joseph Mengele used to have doing on us all kind of, you know... Um, Experiments. Yes, that's right. And... Um, and this is the first time we knew, of course, we knew already when we came to the right and the left. And um, this was during the day, I'll never forget, all naked. And she was selecting the right to left, and my mother went to the left to the guest chamber. At that moment, I want to go with her, but the assessed women were just, you know, punching me back. And the next day, when it was the block sparer, it's too long to tell you. I mean, whenever you heard the siren, you knew that something is going on. And like God was pushing me to the main big door from the barrack, and I looked, it was a little peephole, and I saw my mother in the, with other women walking through the guest chamber. This was my last time when I saw her. I shall never forget. But again, when you're talking about all horrible things, what is impossible really to believe that such a sadism could exist. And please don't forget this came from propaganda because Germany was one of the countries with the highest cultures, and also, you know, um, Austria. So let me. And if this could happen, it can happen again. 
Right, and that's that's the reason that you're talking now to schools and civic groups. Just to tell you a little about Sonia, she survived three concentration camps. On the day that she was liberated, she was shot in the chest. She had many horrible, indelible experiences repressed in her mind. And today, she's 89 years old, 4 foot 8 inches tall, and she had been working six days a week at her tailor shop up until just a little while ago. And now she's looking at her 90s, helping people. She's got a purpose, spreading the word, helping people know that you can survive almost anything and that together we need to ensure that inhuman behavior does not take place against anybody. Sonia, what you're doing is a credit to humanity. Thank you for for spreading the word, and we hope that you have many, many more years of telling your story and inspiring people to be the best that humanity can be. Thank you, Sonia. Up next, one of the stars of Fatal Attraction and what she has to say about women in the movie business. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. And our next guest is a longtime favorite of moviegoers worldwide. She's had a number of unforgettable roles in films like Fatal Attraction, Clear and Present Danger, Patriot Games. And get this, Bill, her husband, Terry Jastrow, is an award-winning writer, producer, and director. And the two have now teamed up to create a new film called The Squeeze. Doesn't it figure two creative people have a way of finding each other? This sounds really cool because it's a movie that looks into the life of a golfer, but what it's really about is exploring the boundaries of right and wrong, of sports and gambling, how integrity and money kind of come together in funny ways. She's an Academy Award-nominated Golden Globe-winning actress who's really done it all in her career, from business and to big blockbusters to independence to, to the tiniest of live theaters, too, because she's got a true passion for the art. And we're thrilled to say hi to Ann Archer. Ann, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? We're great. Interesting story on how the film The Squeeze came to be. It's a true story. In fact, you met the guy, and he started telling you his life story, and what, you and your husband looked at each other and said, we got to make a movie? Yeah, yeah, we were actually having dinner with um, uh, a woman that my husband Terry's done a lot of business with, uh, Chris Flatt. At, she's head of marketing for Win Las Vegas. And we, <clears throat> they were visiting Los Angeles, and we had dinner with her and her husband. And in getting to know her husband, um, he told us this story. And <clears throat> we just looked at each other and said, oh, my God, this is such a movie. And a couple of years later, uh, Terry, my husband, sat down and started writing the screenplay. And, and as I understand it, Ann, uh, <laughs> now you've been in quite a few <laughs> life and death, th- death thrillers, which this is, but you are not in this movie, correct? No, I'm producing it. I'm producing it, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it was uh, so fun to be on the other side of the camera for a change and uh, and really good for me and puts me in the driver's seat, and uh, I've just loved it. It's fabulous. A lot of couples out there have great relationships until they try to do something together. You guys have been married now, what, <laughs> 35 years? What what was it like? Yeah. What's it like for you and Terry to uh, to do this together? Well, we we do great together. Um, I'm a wonderful editor for him. I'm a wonderful collaborator. Great with story, great with casting, things that, you know, are really my strong suit. And I, I learned a lot on this movie, um, and I think I'll be an even better producer on the next ones. Uh, but we've, we've worked together before. When we were first starting out, he was trying switching careers from sports to acting for a period of time, and we made a movie together that... Uh, we we put the whole thing together ourselves, and we starred in it. And uh, and then I did a production of the Paris Fashion Shows with him in Paris at one point. So 
It wasn't the first time, but we do get along great. We are very good balance of abilities, and uh, we complement each other. So we're blessed in that way. Folks, we're talking with the great uh, actress Ann Archer, who is also uh, a producer as well, about her new film with her husband called The Squeeze. And, and Ann, on this program, we, we love to celebrate people who continue to, to find ways to move forward and pursue their passion as they age. And I love that you just said you know, you're going to be a better producer on your next film. Uh, you're in an industry that, that makes it very difficult for people to find their way forward. Uh, in, in some sense, is that why you're doing this, this project? You figure, well, I'm just going to start creating my own so I can control my destiny? Yes, definitely. And that, that's been something that I realized uh, a few years ago, and and uh, yes, in order to, especially today for actors, they have to uh, create their own destiny. Careers aren't really managed anymore by agents and and uh, you know even studios way back when. Uh, and if you're going to have a career, you're far better off if you can find projects, form a company, produce your own. Uh, keep trying to do it, even if you're shooting a film, film on an iPhone. Just keep trying to do it. You'll get better at it because um, you have to be able to put your own work out there. You can't wait to be chosen by others. It's, it's just vital. That would be the biggest message I would ever give to a young actor today. Have you, have you run and experienced uh, ageism in Hollywood? Oh, for sure. But, you know, that started when I turned 40. I mean, you know, and they, that's the doldrums for an actress. Once she gets into... Now, maybe her mid forties used to be even younger than that uh, uh you you know you're not old enough to be playing character parts or older people, and you're not young enough to be the sexual thing you know for, if, as, you know as a female the the love interest and uh you sit and don't work very much at all and so if you don't sort of build up some sort of um behind the scenes production. Uh, I think you 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 really put yourself out of the business. It's very tough. So yeah, it's it's really important. <laughs> and it, yeah, the industry is very biased that way still, without question. Hey, and do you mind? Can we ask you about your mom? I understand she recently updated her memoir, A Dance and a Hug. What a great role model, acting into her nineties. Yeah, yeah, she's um, she's amazing. She's still a beautiful woman. She, she is absolutely amazing. Just a phenomenal person, and you know. I mean, she was quite quite up in years when she sat down and wrote her memoir, and it's a, a really delightful read, and, yeah, she's quite an amazing lady. <laughs> and, and for those who don't know, she's Marjorie Lord from Make Room for Daddy. And how old is she now? She's uh, 96. Can you believe it? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Anne, yeah. before we talk about your future, because I know it's going to be fabulous, uh, l- let's look back very quickly. We mentioned some of the, the projects that you've had, Fatal Attraction, Clear and Present Danger, Patriot Games, iconic films that you know are as good today as when you made them. Do you have a favorite role that you've played, uh, a favorite actor you've worked with? Well, I think in terms of the favorite role, I would have to say Fatal Attraction just because uh, it was such a phenomenal success it, it it turned into such a wonderful movie and it's lasted so long um oh wow i've worked with all the big time male movie stars and and i've, I've had great experiences with every one of them i might say funnily enough gene hackman i did a film with him called narrow margin he's uh, he's was just He's such an amazing actor, and it was so fun working with him. I, I love that. And, and then I love working with Michael Douglas in Fatal Attraction, obviously. I love working with Harrison. I mean, we, I, I've always had very good experiences with the actors I've worked with. Don't you wish you got to work with some really good leading men, though? Those are not big names. <laughs> or Man, and you know, on this program, Growing Boulder, one, one of the differentiators is we try to learn something that can help us in our lives from what you've experienced and from the things that you've seen and, and been through. Can you share with us a little bit of, of, of the Ann Archer philosophy? What's the takeaway? What, what's the moral of your story? Oh, wow. Well, you're, you're asking such a big life philosophical question. I, I don't know. I've never, I probably have to think about it to really come up with a great answer, but right off the cuff I would say be a great listener. Um, don't don't talk over everybody. I mean, let them express themselves. Don't cut their communication, and um, and be interested in people. Have a lot of 
you know, ask questions. Be very interested. I think that that is uh, something that will benefit you in your relationships and in business till the end of your days, and uh, you your life will be rich because of it, and you'll keep making it richer. You talked about how difficult it was for actresses, especially once they hit their 40s, but we definitely want to point out that your best work has come since you were 40 and on. You continue to push the boundaries. You grow. You're creative. You're vibrant. You look fantastic, and you're brilliant. And the, and, and that's why these films like The Squeeze with your husband are, are so interesting to us, and we're going to keep an eye on all your future projects as well. She and her husband have created this movie called The Squeeze. Check it out, and our thanks go out to the talented and creative Ann Archer. Up next, how an artist in genius eye is turning what's thought of as trash into functional, livable shelters for the homeless. This is Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingboulder.com slash podcasts. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. And if we know it's true that one man's trash is another man's treasure, then why can't one man's dumpster be another man's home? Sounds like a pretty bizarre question, but that's one that absolutely nobody has ever asked before, except for one man, our next guest, who looks at all the stuff we throw away and what he sees as ways to repurpose them into resources that can make a difference in people's lives. Very interesting guy, and maybe not a stretch to call him a superhero. And, of course, we're not talking about the kind that have X-ray vision or telepathy. His superpower is seeing value in just about anything. And his quest is to recruit imaginative and skilled people like himself and then offer up all kinds of discarded material and challenge them to construct sturdy livable shelters for homeless people. Imagine that. The organization is called the Homeless Homes Project, and the superhero is an artist, creator, and a visionary who goes by the name of Gregory Klein. Hey, Greg, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, what a great idea. Really, really cool concept. Uh, You are an artist. You could be in a studio, but yet you're out on the streets. How did your passion for art evolve into helping the homeless? Well, uh, I mean, I think it was kind of a, a combination of things. I had uh, graduated from art school and was in the art world making sculptures and whatnot. And then I acquired, a, I bought a condemned building, and that kind of got me into the construction and making homes. And I think I was kind of slowly crawling back to the art world via the home. Started making homes out of shipping containers. Started looking at other objects that we see, uh, dumpsters. Uh, and turning those into homes. And while I was doing that, I was looking at the homes that the homeless created themselves and noticing that they were taking items that we threw away and discarded on the street and kind of arranging them and making a little kind of crude lean-to, a little fort, just maybe a roof. Um, And I was kind of inspired by them and thinking, well, hey, I can grab the same material. Let me bring it back to my studio. Let me put it together in a little bit more secure fashion, you know, using screws and nails and glue and uh, make my own home out of this garbage. Now, what, what a perceptive and interesting guy uh, Gregory Klein is, Mark, you know, because I was thinking in my head, you know, he's describing sort of what he does, but he put it himself a different way, and I want to quote him here. He diminishes money's influence over the building process, and he transforms rejected debris into objects of hope and happiness. Greg, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, again, it was just kind of ripping a page out of the homeless people's book and kind of our society at large of, you know, we we throw away a lot of stuff. We generate a lot of garbage, and it's just, why would this futon be worth $499 two years ago, yet, uh, you know, later on, it's put on the side of the street and just given up for free? And, you know, doesn't these materials and doesn't this item still have value? It can be repurposed and used perhaps in a different way. And, um, you know, make a big change in someone's life. I mean, 
at first I was just exploring what types of uh, uh, shelters, homes I could make, and I didn't think of giving these uh, items to the homeless people themselves. I just made this, my first house I just made, and um, it kind of sat in my studio for like about six months. And, um, you know, then one rainy night, this woman, Sheila, came up and asked me if I had a tarp. She's a homeless woman that I knew on the street. And I said, hey, I don't, you know, I don't have a tarp. I'm sorry. I walked back in and I walked past this home. And I thought, hey, you know, she could really use this home. So I ran back out, said, come back, uh, you know, tomorrow and I'll have this home for you. So I cleaned the home out, got it all ready. She came back with her husband. Uh, you know, I handed her the key and a bottle of champagne and watched them push it down the street. And then I saw the impact that it had on their life, how it really changed it, how having a secure place uh, that's off the ground, off, has a roof that they don't get wet, how that really, you know, made a purposeful impact on their life. You know, you might have answered my, my next question when you said pushed it down the street, because cause I'm wondering, you know, having a shelter is great, but, you know, the practical question is where in the heck do they do they put it, and is that it? it it's, it's mobile to the sense that they can push it, and what kind of support or lack thereof are you getting from cities? I mean, do they want the, the things that you're uh, building for them in their areas? Well, it's, yeah, it's funny. Uh, no one from the city has reached out to me. To mention uh, anything about these homes, either positive or negative, um, I think, you know, maybe they wouldn't want these homes there. I mean, the homeless people are there on the street anyway, and they're building their little shelters or pitching their tents or whatever. Now, with these homes, you know, they have a home that they will keep. The city isn't coming through, cleaning them out, throwing their old home away, and leaving the person on the street. Uh, I think what the good thing about these homes are, they're put on wheels, so now you've kind of changed the whole aspect of encroachment on city property. Uh, because in a heartbeat, these things can be pushed and moved, and they're not a permanent structure. Yeah, um, and, and they're just so people get a picture in their head. These are almost just big enough to be in, Mark. I mean, there's no electricity or plumbing or anything like that. It's a shelter, you know, with a door on the front that they can lock. You know, it's it's a, it's yeah. a semblance of privacy and dignity for people that are generally, you know, looking for park benches and places to in the woods. Right. I mean, these things are uh, big enough that someone could lie down in, you know, have a little storage space. Um, but it's essentially a big cart, you know. It doesn't have a motor in it, so you don't have to register it with, uh, you know, Department of Motor Vehicles. And uh, it is, it's on little wheels, so it can be pushed, so it doesn't uh, fall under any encroachment laws that we have here in California. I don't know if other... Areas probably have different laws, but they're probably pretty similar. Um, so it's kind of this gray zone that they're on. And, you know, still the city will post signs saying, hey, this, you know, you can't live here. Uh, you're going to have to move. And I would kind of watch this whole cycle over and over again by, you know, following the homeless of uh, the city coming in, posting a sign saying, hey, next Tuesday, at 2 o'clock, everything here has to leave. Um, so the homeless person knows that, they grab what they want, they move to the other side of the street or two blocks down. The city comes in, scoops up all of their home, their belongings, throws it away, but they leave the person on the street. So the person's forced to kind of start over again. Let's start a, you know, a new house, let's find a new tent, let's make a new crude shelter. And uh, what these homes do is just allows them to push it down, you know, to another block, and then three weeks there, and then they go somewhere else, and another two, three weeks, and... You know, but they get to keep the same home, kind of that sense of security, that sense of safety. You know, it's amazing, and kudos to you and, and Bill. Obviously, I'm not a super uh, hero because I, I thought what most people would, you know, find a way not to do something. But, uh, you know, Greg is a guy who did it anyways, figured out a way to make a difference, and he's doing that. The homelesshomesproject.org is where you can go, folks, to take a look at the work he's doing. This is a guy who, in his own walk of life, he's not connected with the homeless, but he found a way to make a difference in a problem that he sees in his life. That's what Growing Boulder is all about. That's where the seeds of innovation come from, using whatever area of expertise you have and solving a bigger problem. That's what he's done with these shelters, and hopefully we can bring these to other cities around the country and help as many people as possible. But we want to thank Greg Klain, Homeless Homes Project. Org for more information. Thanks, Gregory.
Time now for a quick takeaway. Sometimes we get so caught up in our jobs and our schedules and our passions that, you know, the days and the weeks just fly by. To try to make a point not to let that happen without making time to connect with the people in your life who mean the most to you. I'm talking about family and relatives and friends in or especially out of town. Don't just wait for a reason to keep in touch. Make that part of your routine. That's a great message, Bill. I love this because the act of simply checking in, especially without a reason, can make a terrific impression and really go a long way. If there are people you care about, people who are important to you, keep in touch. Nurture your relationships and they will serve you for a lifetime. Make the time. Find ways to create special experiences for those you love. Check us out, folks, on Growing Boulder TV, pick up the magazine, like us on Facebook, and of course, the best way to find out all about what's going on is at growingbolder.com. We'll see you next time. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears. Fire and flaming road Using ideas as my map We'll meet on edges soon Said I Proud me heated brow Ah, but I was so much older then I'm younger than that now Half-right prejudice leap Stand side.